Well, we've reached part four of our series, One Thing. I guess if there's one thing that Mark didn't envisage when he designed this series was that he wouldn't be speaking on many of them. Anyway, today we, we reach uh, one thing I know as we focus on the heart of witness. We're looking at the incident that Mary read from John 9, where Jesus heals a man who is blind from birth. Here is the man's short, succinct statement of witness to those around. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Now, I guess we'd all be in agreement that Jesus performed miracles to meet human needs, but he often performed miracles as a launch pad, as it were, for conveying a message of spiritual truth. The greatest miracle here is not the opening of the man's eyes, it is the opening of his heart to the Savior. I've got three aims this morning in the next two hours, so stick with me. (laughs) You're laughing. (laughs) Aim number one, to explore the true identity of Jesus. Now you may say, well, I know who Jesus is. He is the Christ, he's the Son of God, he's the Messiah, he's my personal Savior and Lord, and that's great if you're in that place this morning. But it may be we need to be reminded that there are people who are on a journey to faith, and they don't yet see the identity of Jesus as the Son of God, as the Savior. Many of you, I guess, would have come through a journey, a journey of discovery, If you're not sure about who Jesus is this morning, can I tell you this? You're in the right place. God knew you were going to be here this morning. If you're unsure, that's not a problem. God wants to bring assurance into your life. And God says in the Old Testament, those that seek me will find me when they seek me with all their hearts. So the second aim is to explain why as a church, NCBC should bother with evangelism. And the next, the third aim, is to encourage us to be confident in sharing our personal faith story. If you're a Christian this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a personal faith story that God can use to bless and minister to others. So first of all, let's explore the true identity of Jesus We're simply asking that question, who is Jesus? Have you ever been involved in a case of mistaken identity? I uh, told this story, (laughs) I told this story Alpha a few weeks ago, so it's fresh in my mind. It's a true story. Before I uh, uh, met Julie, I found myself in the south of France with a friend. We were enjoying a coffee, a croissant in a roadside cafe, when two young ladies rushed up with a pen and a piece of paper in their hand. Can we have your autograph, please? <laughs> Everyday occurrence for me. <laughs> I said, sure, you can have my autograph, but who on earth do you think I am? Sid Little. <laughs> Anybody remember Sid Little? Oh, thank you, folks. He was uh, part of the comedy duo Little and Large. Uh, I think I would probably be 
resembling Eddie Large more than Sid Little these days. Case of mistaken identity. There was another occasion when I was in uh, um, a large uh, store with Julie. She was looking for an item of clothing, can't remember what it was, but anyway, she picked it off the peg, disappeared into the ladies' changing room, and I stood there just like, you know, all husbands do, just waiting patiently, as you do, don't you guys? When a lady rushes up to me with a dress and says, excuse me, have you got this in a size 14? <laughs> I did resist the temptation of asking why on earth she'd need a size 14. Probably needing a slightly larger size, but we didn't get into that. <laughs> but she, she made a mistake about who I was. There was a slight embarrassment, but, but no real harm was done. But many people mistake Jesus for somebody else. I want us to look this morning at this man's growing awareness about the identity of Jesus. First of all, identity number one, a man called Jesus. John 9, 11. The man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see... Four times in this chapter, the question, how were you healed, is asked. The neighbors ask it, the Pharisees ask it, uh, the man's parents ask that question, and finally the Pharisees gave the man a final interrogation. See, they were all asking the wrong question. It's not how you were healed, it's who healed you. You see, people often want to understand the mechanics of a miracle. I think this is where the Pharisees were. You know, if we can understand the mechanics of how this worked, perhaps we could heal people. People want to understand the mechanics of a miracle instead of simply trusting the Savior. In my time as a, as a pastor, a number of people have said to me, if I saw a miracle... I believe. Do you know what happens? They often see a miracle and put it, well, it's just coincidence. If I see another miracle, I'll believe. One of the lovely things about uh, Alpha is to see people's lives uh, transformed. And uh, on a course uh, a couple of years ago, I remember as we were discussing, I won't identify the person, but this person said, I now realize I don't have to understand everything before I commit my life to Christ. I don't have to understand all the Bible before I surrender myself to God. Well, can I share with you this morning, I don't understand all the Bible. Anybody here who does? But we trust, we trust God. So when asked to describe his healing experience, this man says it was performed by a man called Jesus. Not only was he unsure of the identity of Jesus, but he didn't even know where he'd gone when Jesus disappeared. And at this point, the man was healed, he could see, but he wasn't saved. And like our healed friend at this point, many people have a superficial understanding of who Jesus really is, a case of mistaken identity. Billy Connolly once said, 
I can't believe in Christianity, but I believe Jesus was a wonderful man. Arthur Scargill. Now, some of you haven't got a clue who Arthur Scargill is or was. Uh, ask the person next to you after the service, or you can phone a friend or ask me. He was the NUM leader at the time. He said Jesus was a socialist. Well, Arthur Scargill would have said that. The truth is that Jesus was a man and identified with us as a human being. He had a human body. We read in John 4, uh, after a journey, he was tired and sat down. He was hungry. Delicious irony of one of the gospel accounts where it says, Jesus fasted for 40 days, and afterwards, he was hungry. And some of us are hungry after 40 minutes. Never mind about 40 days. He had human emotions. Anger as he overturned the temples, a righteous anger, a love, a love for those on the margins of society, a sadness as he weeps at the side of the grave of his friend Lazarus. He shared human experiences. He was tempted like you and I, and yet he was without sin. He had a job. He was a carpenter. Some people would say uh, he was a stonemason as well. Well, we don't know. But he shared that experience of work, shared the experience of obedience. We read in the Gospels, he learned obedience. Can you imagine that? The Son of God, involved in the creation of the world, coming to earth and learning to be obedient to Mary and Joseph. Was Jesus just more than a man? Well, here's identity number two, a prophet. Then they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. The man said, he's a prophet. I believe Jesus deliberately healed this man on the Sabbath. He knew it would enrage the Pharisees. He made the clay, he applied it, and he healed the man. Three unlawful works done on the Sabbath, according to the Jews. I, I checked up a list of prohibited activities. I won't read it all, but there are 39 here, and they include... Writing two or more letters. You can't write two or more letters. You can't erase two or more letters. You can't kindle a fire. You can't extinguish a fire. You can't put the finishing touch on an object. And you can't move an object between the private domain and the public domain or for a distance of four cubits within the public domain. Now, I know you, you all know the 39 prohibitions, so I won't go through them. But one of the uh, prohibitions that the Orthodox Jews follow is that they're not allowed on Shabbat to press a button. So there are some lifts which Orthodox Jews use that are programmed on Shabbat to move one floor at a time automatically. That's great if you're on the ground floor and you live on the fourth floor. But if you live on the 41st floor, it's going to take a bit of time to get there, I would suggest. Jesus 
according to the Pharisees, broke the Sabbath. They should have been praising God for the miracle. Instead, they were looking for reasons to prosecute Jesus. But the man's not intimidated by their threats. When asked the true identity of Jesus, he boldly proclaims he is a prophet. But the religious leaders didn't want to give Jesus that designation. They had their prophets. They revered their prophets. They had Moses. They had Elijah. They had Elisha. All men who had performed powerful acts by the power of God. So when asked for confirmation by his parents, they responded and just passed the buck and said, look, our son's of age. Just ask him. So, was Jesus just a man, or a prophet, or much more? Identity number three, the Son of God. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out, and when he found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, You have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. Then the man said, Lord, I believe and he worshipped him. The Pharisees excommunicate this man from the local synagogue. He is cut off from his family. He is cut off from his friends. That may have happened to you when you made a decision to follow Christ. People in your family possibly left or derided you. Some of them may have even thought, well, it's just a phase you're going through. Some of your friends may have just disappeared because you'd made a choice to follow Christ. Well, if they disappeared, they couldn't have been that good a friend in the first place. But the man's spiritual eyes are now fully open. He's convinced that Jesus isn't just a man or a prophet. He is, in fact, the Savior. Not only did he believe, but he worshipped Jesus as his Lord. He had been on a journey, a journey to faith, where his spiritual eyes were gradually opened. And that's another thing I love about uh, Alpha. As you see week by week, people, as it were, their eyes becoming spiritually aware of the identity of Jesus. It's like, well, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.4, the God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. It's like an alpha seeing the bandages, as it were, being loosened week by week till people actually get it. You know, it's been lovely when you talk to people uh, who've come to faith, and some will say, I don't know why I didn't get it sooner. It seems so obvious now. So let's move into the second part of the message. Here's the question. Why should NCBC bother with evangelism? I mean, let's be fair, folks. We, we've got a fairly full church, haven't we? Yeah? Why don't we just, you know, 
continue having their knees up in uh, worship and have some fellowship from time to time and, well, just look inward, basically. Because that's what we're not meant to be doing. A.W. Pink said, if a church will not evangelize, it will fossilize. Here are some reasons why we should bother with evangelism. As I mentioned the word evangelism, it reminds me of a book. Oh. This is a book by Rico Tice. Is that how you pronounce his name? Honest Evangelism, excellent book. If you want to borrow this, have a word with Tristan, because I've got to give it back to him at the end of the service. But it really is an excellent book. But as we think about the word evangelist, I've spoken to people and said, well, Paul, you know, I'm not an evangelist. Evangelism is a gift. Not everybody has the gift of evangelism or gift of evangelist. An evangelist is a reaper. We are all called to be witnesses. The word witness comes from the Greek, and it's where we get our word martyr from. Some people have been martyred because of their witness. So please don't think we can exclude ourselves from witnessing. First of all, we should bother because Jesus sends us As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. (coughs) Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is our theme verse for the year. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go, the imperative, go. Interesting that some commentators translate the Greek word go, whereas others translate it as what they call a present participle. Basically, they're saying it should be translated going, going. That Jesus assumes we will go, and basically he's saying as you go, as you go to work, as you go to school, as you go to the shops, as you go about your daily existence, then make disciples not the bit about teaching them to obey everything. This commission is given to every follower of Jesus Christ. It isn't an option, as it were, it isn't an optional extra. It isn't just for the fanatic. I remember a guy uh, who was zealous about sharing the gospel, and he told me that one day somebody said to him, you're a bit of a fanatic. Do you know what he said in response? It's easier to cool down a fanatic than it is to warm up a corpse. I've got to be honest, sometimes I'm more fanatical about my football team than I'm about the Lord. Jesus sends us. It is part of the normal Christian life If we're a follower of Jesus, our mission is mandatory. Somebody pictured uh, uh, God in heaven and an angel comes up to God and God says, my big plan is to give the good news 
to my people on earth and ask them to share it. And the angel says, well, what if they don't? What is plan B? And God says, there isn't a plan B. It's down to you and it's down to me. We're it, folks. Jesus commissions us to share the good news with the only people, Christian people, that some people will ever meet. People matter to God. Vital to recognize afresh that every member of our family, our neighbors, our friends, our co-workers, every single person we meet matters to God. God does love everyone. It sounds trite, but it's true. Irrespective of race, background, color, bank balance, intellect, God has a plan and a purpose for their lives, just like he has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And people are needy. People are blind, and they need light. And Jesus is the light of the world. People are enslaved and need to be set free. And Jesus says, if you know the Son, the Son will set you free. And people are guilty, and they need forgiveness. People are lost, and they need to be found and rescued. People are alienated from God and need to be reconciled to God. People are dead in sins and trespasses, and they need life. And Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. People matter to God. People are lost without Christ. Now, I don't suggest that you share this verse as you begin to engage in conversation with somebody you want to share the gospel with. But it's in Scripture, and we need to understand it, and we need to take hold of it. He that is God will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. They will be punished with everlasting destruction, shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the majesty of his power. A sobering verse. Many people have tried to describe what hell is like. Basically, hell is being shut out from the presence of God forever. That's what we are seeking with the help of the Spirit of God to save people from. So our mission has eternal significance. It will impact the eternal uh, destiny uh, of other people. It's more important than any job or uh, achievement or success or goal that people achieve during their time on earth. It's crucial that we do share this good news. Telling others how they can have eternal life is the greatest thing we can do. And on a, a personal level, this means that people are not okay simply because they are nice people. I'm sure each of you have got nice friends, nice members of your family. But no matter how nice people are, no matter how contented or successful they appear to be, if they don't know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, 
then they're without Christ, they're without God, they're without hope in this world, and they're heading for a lost eternity. And that should impel us and compel us to understand this is the most important message I can share with another human being. Fourthly, uh, God wants everyone to be saved. Paul writes to Timothy, God wants all men to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. I could say more about that, but why should NCBC bother with evangelism? Well, hopefully I've given us some pointers as to why we should do it. But I want to finish with a very practical part of the message this morning. I want to talk about being confident in sharing our faith story. If you're a Christian this morning, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a walking miracle. Do you realize that? Have you ever sat down and made a list of all the things that have happened at the moment I came to Christ. Great exercise. God became your father. You became his child. Other Christians became your brothers and sisters. Your eternal destiny was sealed. There are so many things that we could write down and give thanks to God for Your personal story is a very persuasive tool to communicate to others. You don't need to have gone to Bible college to tell people your faith story. You don't even really need to be very good at memorizing Bible verses. Although I would encourage you to memorize Bible verses or at least find out where the verses are located. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. The verse goes on, but do this with gentleness and respect. We need to be winsome. We'll never win somebody over to the Lord through an argument. So, the value of sharing your story, your story is unique. There is no other story exactly like your story. It's very, per <coughs> Excuse me. it's very personal. It's easy for other people to understand. You're the authority on it. And nobody can really argue with you and say, well, that didn't happen, that didn't happen. And you know what? People love to hear personal stories. I love to hear stories about how people came to faith. And they remember these stories. People can relate to your faith story. It builds, as it were, a relational bridge between the two of you. In our postmodern world, it may be one of our most effective forms of witness. So as I close, I want to give us an insight into how we could put our faith story together. Some of you may have done this, but... I would suggest if you're going to share your story, you need to look at perhaps it being about 10 minutes long. Split into four parts. Here's the first part. 
What was my life like before Christ? What were the things that were most important to you? What were the things that grabbed your attention? What were your priorities in life? What substitute did you have for God in order to try and find meaning in life? Was it sports, fitness, success at work, marriage, making money, drugs, alcohol, having fun, just entertainment, popularity, hobbies? What was my life like before I came to Christ? Secondly, how did I realize I needed Christ? What were the significant steps that led to your conversion? What were the needs, the hurts, the problems that made you dissatisfied with the way you were living without God? For me, it was, it was loneliness. I was looking for love. I was looking in the wrong places, but I was looking for love. And then God got my attention. Thirdly, how did I commit my life to Christ? What specifically did you do? Did you kneel down beside your bed? Where were you at the time? What was it you actually said in your prayer? This is a part where we need to be specific. Give people an understanding of what we prayed. Then fourthly, what differences Jesus made in my life? What benefits have I experienced or felt? What problems have been resolved? How has Jesus helped you change for the better? And fourthly, what do you still struggle with? That is as important as the other three. We're not trying to convince people that we're perfect because we know we're not. And there's not a single person here who doesn't struggle in some way as a follower of Christ. And we need to be honest with people. Later on in the year, we'll be running a course to enable and encourage us in our witness. We'll let you know a little nearer the time, the details. So our faith, uh, sorry, our, our friend had a journey to faith. It was a man called Jesus. Then it was a prophet. Then the Son of God whom he worshipped. The man's testimony, so simple. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Can we echo that man's testimony? I finish with a story about Fanny Crosby, um, who wrote over 9,000 hymns, including Blessed Assurance. She was once asked a very strange question. She was asked, are there any advantages of being blind almost from birth? Do you know what she said? The first face I see will be the face of Jesus. Amen.